TJ Adeshola is joining us today, the head of U.S. Sports Partnerships for Twitter. TJ, I watched your segment on the jump, and it was six minutes and 42 seconds. So I want to know, since Rachel spoke for five minutes and 58 seconds, I know I know that you had more to say. So I want to, So we're going to start this with empty out, empty out your notebook with everything else that you had prepared for the jump that you didn't get to say, and now you can open that you can open up this podcast with all that stuff. That That is fantastic. What I would say is it's much cooler to have somebody else talk about how cool the work you do than it is for you to do it. So that is exactly what I wanted. Exactly what I wanted. Uh, that said, um, I'm CJ the show, as you mentioned, I'm the head of sports at, at Twitter. And um, uh, in the in the previous life, I worked at, at ESPN and was able to forge some of my closest relationships, relationships that, or beyond friendship, their family, and Adam Stanko is obviously one of them. Uh, and, and, and here we are, we get to talk about the journey. Yeah, yeah so let, let, let's start with that relationship, and let's start with your relationship with Adam. How did it start, and at what point did you realize that, you know what, this guy is not as bad as everyone says he is? <laughs> well, well, I haven't realized that yet, if we're being, if we're being completely honest. Um, he seems all right, though. He seems all right. So in in Bristol, Connecticut, as you'd imagine, there wasn't much to do, but we had a really close network of homies who were hoops obsessed. Like, we would either be talking about hoops every day or we'd be playing hoops every day. And, and Stanko was the dude who had an affinity for, for no-look passes, um, and, and he, he had a pretty decent uh, assist-to-turnover ratio. So... I remember thinking to myself, like, who's this dude who throws routine passes and turns them into no looks all the time? And it ended up being Adam. Uh, I was an intern at, at ESPN, and he uh, he really just kind of big brothered me and took me under his wing and showed me showed me the ropes, showed me the sandwiches I should get in the cafeteria, showed me where uh, where I should I should hang out, who I should hang out with, and he really just kind of uh, helped set my my career in a way that. I don't think would 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 have played out had it not been for his uh, his input, man. So he's been somebody I've been very thankful and and uh, lucky to have in my life. Man, this this wow. TJ always knows the right thing to say. You know, this is yeah, why right. you see why he's so this successful. Love fest, this love fest started yeah, early. We're gonna I'm, we're gonna end it right now. now. We're gonna end it right now. <laughs> no, you know what's uh so what's interesting is so that's the 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 TJ side of this, but my side of this is that I mean TJ started at ESPN. I mean, he is uh, such a motivational story, I think, for so many people, because he started at ESPN as an intern when I was already there. And TJ came in with this this great intern class, uh, really talented people that that joined him. But like he stood out. And I just remember TJ just grinding and putting in the work and then networking like crazy. And I mean, TJ can speak to this, but the idea was he came in, came from Georgia, he was this guy that just wanted to get to know people and anyone who knows him and you already probably can sense it, but just such a charismatic guy, such a bright guy. And he walked in right away to ESPN and was an intern and just not only did the work during the day, but then was trying to meet with people during lunch breaks, after work, all this. And so my first, you know, getting to know TJ was here he is as an intern at ESPN, but then he's also working nights at, at Banana Republic and grinding away there. And he's always the, the best dressed guy in the room. So 
TJ is doing all this stuff and you just knew that his future was bright. I never realized the ascension would be as quick as it was to now where he's the guy at Twitter. When you want to blame something you read on NBA Twitter, TJ is the guy you blame it on. If you, if you want a blue check mark, TJ is the guy you blame. No, no. But like, but TJ, but no, TJ has met with so many influential people and done so much for Twitter as, as a brand, as a company. And there, there was no doubt in my mind that TJ would be a major success at whatever he chose to do. Uh, And now he's, I mean, he's changing how we view sports through social media. I mean, he, he is the guy that that's changing all that. And so I guess my, my, after saying all that, TJ, I just wanted to, to bring up when, when you're an intern at ESPN, what was your ultimate goal? Because at that time, obviously, becoming the head of sports partnerships at Twitter didn't seem like it was something that, that even existed really as a, as a position that someone could get to. Yeah. It's crazy that you uh, bring that up because when I talk to to college students and and folks who aspire to be in the sports industry now, they're like, how did you get your job? And I'm like, crazy is, or the crazy thing is, excuse me, is uh, my role didn't, am I allowed to cuss? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, what's crazy is my role didn't exist while I was at school or while I was at ESPN interning or even while I was at ESPN. So um, it, it, some of it has been the stars aligning and serendipity, but, um, but a lot of it has been just really trying to, to be a student of the game and be a nerd and, and align myself with where I think the industry is going. So, um, as you mentioned, like while I was at ESPN, I think most people go to ESPN, especially out of college, thinking I'm going to finesse this to be on camera or to get some type of front facing role somehow, some way. Like more often than not, especially if you're on the production side, that is um, that is a, a goal of yours in some form or fashion. Um, I quickly realized that that wasn't going to happen for me because I wasn't necessarily in, in television production. I was on the audio side originally. But what I was able to do was develop relationships with folks who were on the TV side, on the production side. Uh, and Stanko, you and I talked about having a podcast or a show before mm-hmm. podcasts were even popping. Like we would be we would be it right now. We would have the ringer and Grantland and all that. I blame you for that. Um, yeah. No, we Fair. didn't do that. Fair. but. I, uh, I I developed a real strong affinity for the business of sports. Like I, I realized that it, it, ESPN was called the worldwide leader for a reason, and I wanted to learn why. I wanted to learn how it was so profitable, and and how they they created their multi-year deals with with rights holders. So started getting really interested in that, and around the same time, digital really started to to take off. We we had a property at ESPN called. I think it started as ESPN 360, then evolved to ESPN 3. It's now Watch ESPN. Um, and I transitioned over to the digital side of the house and really got to learn firsthand um, how to, to, to go about uh, developing uh, a business of sports on the digital side. And the rest is kind of history. I transitioned over to Twitter and, and we realized that it was a, a microphone to the world and it was the perfect complement to the live sports consumption experience. So we really wanted to, to fuel that and create what I often call a, a, a virtual sports bar, right? Like if you're watching a game, 
what does it look like or what does it feel like to be chatting with your homies or chatting with people who are watching the same thing live in real time and we've been able to to capture that in a really cool way so um again a lot of it has been happenstance but uh most of it has been just my my willingness to 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 be aware and to understand um what's new within within the sports landscape TJ, what's your role then in, I, I should say, shaping the NBA conversation on Twitter if so much of it is reacting to what players are saying and what is going on during games? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, uh, the the superpower of Twitter is that this conversation occurs organically, right? So if I'm having to text people or email people or ping people on the side to tweet, then I'm not necessarily doing something that's scalable. So for us, it's really just ensuring that that experience within Twitter uh, is uh, filled with the most rich content as possible. So that means having discussions with the NBA about uh, publishing real-time highlights to Twitter. It means talking to uh, the ringer and Pat Modowney over there about how to best uh, equip them with the tools and resources to, to publish and be a desktop on Twitter live, right? So um, for, for, for me, it's really ensuring that if you are going to hop on Twitter while you're watching a game or immediately after or before a game, that there's really rich content for you to consume that will help you contextualize the game that you're thinking about or the game that you're watching or, or your favorite player, why he does what he does, who hit the game-winning shot. Like that content is published to Twitter in real time often, uh, and the content is rich and robust. So uh, it's less about uh, me uh, poking people to tweet and more about me equipping uh, our sports publishers and, and sports partners in the landscape with tools to, to leverage Twitter as a, as a valuable distribution platform for them. So then how does it work financially? Like how does the – NBA make money off Twitter, and how does Twitter make money off the NBA? Oh, you asking the the deep and meaningful questions, huh? You asking about the secret sauce, baby? We will get. We, right. we we can talk um, about getting the seventy percent off Banana <laughs> Republic, and you know later on. But I, I, talk I, about I, this. I, I I actually I feel like I owe Banana Republic money, so I'd prefer to, <laughs> to, not, <laughs> to not talk. Hey, about if you're that. paying full price <laughs> there, you're a sucker. <laughs> but um, and, and, and Stanko, you don't have to laugh that hard. You know, you know, <laughs> yeah, no if kidding. you know, you know. If you know I know. You know. <laughs> anyway, um, so the 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 revenue partnerships are are structured um, very differently relative to each property, right? Like, so what's a good example? So NBA, for example, the NBA has a joint venture with Turner, NBA Digital. Uh, so when we have conversations with the NBA about NBA live programming and NBA monetization on social, those conversations often include Turner um, because Turner plays a very vital role in uh, managing and executing some of those NBA digital assets. So it, you think about the NBA's official marketing partners. You've got State Farm, right? The State Farm Assist. You've got American Express. You've got uh, Nike. Those are, are partners that the NBA creates sponsorship elements for. And because the NBA has an owned and operated channel on Twitter, 
they can leverage that channel that we equip them with to extend monetization and sponsorship opportunities. So in many cases, it's us meeting together saying, okay, this is the type of content that we think will perform well on Twitter that you should publish. Uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll collaboratively approach the marketplace and identify sponsors who make sense to travel alongside that, uh, that premium NBA content. So it varies from league to league and from property to property. You can imagine some leagues have restrictions with how they can monetize. Uh, some properties have restrictions with uh, the, the types of content that they can that they can monetize. So it, it gets pretty nuanced, but that should come as no surprise, right? Like sports rights as a whole are super complex, super intricate, and super nuanced. Sometimes you're dealing with an actual rights holder in the traditional sense, like a league, right? Like the NBA or the NFL or MLB. But then sometimes you're dealing with a broadcast network that may not be the actual league property, but they have rights that they've acquired by way of the league, i.e. ESPN with Monday Night Football, their relationship with the NFL. So it varies wildly, but but know that it's a conversation that we both collectively come to the table and say, how can we monetize these rights that you have? What are the restrictions? What are the limitations? And then we figure it out. So I mean, Twitter's figured out how to make money essentially right i mean that's yeah, that's yeah, we're profitable mm-hmm. yeah we're, that's we're what you're getting because people always were wondering about that for for a long time and and as you bring up like there are different ways it's not just the obvious to the to the everyday user of twitter which which gets to something that i wanted to ask you which is i think you are as connected to the streets, shall we say, as any executive <laughs> that I've ever come across. No, I'm, I'm, but I'm being serious in terms of of what's interesting, in terms of what people are talking about. Like, you're you're not one of these guys that's gotten away from from what's interesting to you. You're still going to be on text chains. I'm I'm curious how do you how do you bring what you're hearing from your friends into you know the 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 corporate boardroom. Man, that's a, it's a really good question. I, I'm fortunate to work for a property that whether or not um, I have anything to do with it or not, those conversations are going to occur on, on Twitter, right? Like people are excited about whether LeBron drops a triple-double and the Lakers get a W. That That is a, a massive part of the conversation. But what has almost become equally massive is, yo, LeBron just dropped – a new shoe, Pete the colorway. You know, LeBron is wearing these fear of God shoes to the game, or he's wearing these really cool Versace kiss combo shorts, right? Like those, those conversations are as uh, engaged on the platform as is the amount of points that a player scores on a given night. So I don't have to, it's not much of a struggle for me to have those conversations internally because I can point to Twitter. I can say, yo, this is what people are talking about. And we need to make sure that we are enhancing these conversations. We need to make sure that we are shining a light on these conversations because this is what people want to consume. People are hyper obsessive about culture and lifestyle discussions. How can we work with partners to ensure that if they're looking to talk about culture and lifestyle around basketball or around sports, that those uh, that those conversations are, are taking place on Twitter, and fortunately for me, I happen to have an affinity for 
for that type of stuff. Like I love, I love the, the lifestyle around sport. I love the culture around sports. So uh, I've been able to, to align myself with folks who, who care about it just as much, if not more than I do. Uh, and fortunately I, I'm sitting on a, a distribution platform that, that helps people build brands and helps people build interest and engagement and awareness and eyeballs. So uh, I've been fortunate to, to sit at that intersection and to be passionate about it. So where in the office are the statues of World Wide Web and, and Omar? <laughs> or is that, are those in your <laughs> they, uh, I, if I if I If I told you, uh, I'd, I'd have to make you sign an NDA, right? So those are those are unfortunately conversations that we can't disclose publicly. But know that uh, know that those are the homies, and and uh, they hold a special place on the on the sports Twitter Mount Rushmore. Well, so so here's here's what, here's what I think. So my my question always is is what's next? Like Omar mm. and House highlights, they just you know they curate highlights and now people send them highlights and they push them out. Rob or worldwide Rob does a good job of, uh, you know, a lot of people can just see things that happen on the screen, but it's the, the synchronization of players when they do things at the same time. And it's the oddities, wow. it's the oddities that, that get eyeballs. What's next or what are you, what are you searching for? That's next. Yeah. I, I would take a step back. You mentioned something that's fascinating. Um, I think people underestimate, like, let's, let's think of a guy like Wob, right? And um, what he's been able to build on Twitter is super special. Uh, and there's really nobody like him. And Josiah Johnson is another example, King Josiah, who's, who's done fantastic work on the platform. But these guys create and amplify moments on the platform. And it's not easy. Like, they're not just, uh, they're not just making up uh, a tweet and publishing it in real time without any additional work. I mean, the the idea of identifying something happening in sync and then creating the video that showcases exactly how that happens with context in real time within the game window, that is really, really, really difficult to do. I, I've, I've been at a basketball game with, with Wob before and my man had his laptop out there, headphones on, and was his face was two inches away from the screen. Like he was locked in. Yeah, that's uh, not because, Yeah, it, it requires work. It requires work. But you don't do that unless you have a genuine love for the game and he does that. Josiah Johnson is uh another one who um is 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 really taking memes to a whole nother level. He he created uh uh this um AD is coming to LA jingle that was a rip off of uh, an NWA Ice Cube record and it does numbers on, on, on social. So I say all that to say like the the work that some of these folks are doing on the platform is not easy. Like these guys are really, really, really skilled uh, and it's it's dope to see that when they pour that much effort into something that the content resonates on, on the platform. So you ask me what's next uh, for us it's it's really really simple like I, we have to be we have to hone in on the strategy that we feel like makes sense for the platform and 
and one of the advantages we have <laughs> working at Twitter is if if if, if something sucks, people are gonna be like, "Yo, that shit is trash, dog." You'll see it at the timeline. But if they like it, they'll be like, "Yo, that's actually really cool. I'd like to see more of that." So we have access to you could call it maybe the largest real-time interest graph in the world, right? Like people will tell us if things are cool, if things aren't cool, we learn in real time. So we've been able to test and learn different things based on just seeing the reaction of, of sports fans on the timeline. So something that we're really excited about is as is finding ways to deepen engagement with existing sports franchises. And what I mean by that is, We'll take MLB for an example. So last year we had live MLB games on Twitter. It was cool. They were locally blacked out due to rights restrictions. You guys are familiar with, with what that looks like as a, as a sports fan. And it wasn't necessarily the best experience for users. If you're a Yankees fan, you live in New York and you can't watch the game because you, you live in New York, Like we're, we're, we're excluding a large portion of the population who would actually be really interested in consuming that content. So we decided to revisit that strategy and what we rolled out this year is a program called MLB Twitter Hitter. At the beginning of each day, Major League Baseball sends out a tweet and they give the timeline four options. They say, we've got a full slate of games today. Who do you want to see have all of their live at-bats on Twitter? It'll be Trout, Guerrero, Aaron Judge, uh, Giancarlo. Um, and before the game or at the end of the day, midway through the day, um, the results of the Twitter poll will come in and then MLB will live stream each and every at-bat of the person who won the vote. So Vlad Guerrero, for example, during the Home Run Derby, Vladimir Guerrero won it. Every single at-bat that he had um, was live streamed on Twitter. So that's something that occurs that occurs every day, the MLB Twitter hitter. We have a partnership with PGA Tour, which is eerily similar in that we allow users to vote on um, the golfer that they want to see early round coverage of. With NBA Twitter Live is also a franchise we have where we have the second half of, of games, select games from that are produced by Turner. And we'll say, hey, guys, this is the matchup for the night. Here are four players. Pick the player that you want to see a live ISO cam of during the second half. And what we see is this is a process that allows us to incentivize users to stick around and consume content on the platform. So really just trying to deepen engagement and trying to reward users for being active on the platform and, and provide them with sticky content that will hopefully allow them to stick around on Twitter long, share it amongst their, their followings, and get other people on. So. Those are the types of things we're trying to play with as uh, the sports digital shit evolves. So, TJ, I've I've been curious about how Twitter has evolved in terms of who uh, has made a name for themselves on the platform. I mean, we talked about you know Rob Perez a moment ago, but but just in general, when Twitter was was first starting out, it was if you were interesting or funny, like you could then make a name for yourself. Now, if you're interesting, that's that's great, but there are a bunch of interesting people because guess what? Every reality star is on Twitter. There's a bunch of funny mm -hmm. people because every comedian's on Twitter. So harder for those guys to stand out. So I guess my question to you, being on the inside, what are some of the mistakes that people make on Twitter using it 
as as a platform to maybe increase their brand or you know what they're selling or or what they're trying to promote what are some of the mistakes that people make that that are crushing them and crushing their attempt at getting more followers yeah i i one is kind of what i alluded to a few moments ago like people on twitter are very keen on authenticity and if you if you appear to be fake or appear to be inauthentic or you publish content that people are like, man, that's trash, they'll let you they'll let you know about it. And that's always a no-no. Um, what what works really well on the platform is why someone like Chrissy Teigen is kick-ass on Twitter. She's truly and authentically her whole self on the platform. If she just ate a few donuts, she's going to be like, yo, I ate a bunch of donuts, don't judge me, right? And it resonates really well with people on the platform. It's why you've seen uh, uh, a series of memes and a marketing campaign around me on Twitter versus me on Instagram, right? Like you on Twitter may may be disheveled with a, a vintage t-shirt on, whereas you on Instagram may have a filter and no blemishes and a three-piece suit on, right? So that, right. that we, we realize that there are very distinct differences between our platforms, which is fine, and which is why people use each of our platforms in, in different ways. Um, another thing that is, is interesting that people do in an effort to be um, more efficient, like sometimes they'll publish third-party links to, to Twitter and what happens, i.e., if you are to share um, a, an Instagram post to Twitter using that functionality that exists within Instagram. It'll publish Twitter, but it won't render the media. It won't render the image. Mm -hmm. So when you're scrolling through a Twitter timeline, it'll say, uh, it'll show a portion of your caption and it'll show an Instagram link. Uh, and that function, unfortunately, doesn't render the media. So it, it feels like a bit of a broken experience as opposed to the user just uploading that video or that picture natively. I tell athletes all the time, I'm like, man, I know it's easy to press that button, but if you want to drive engagements and you want to sustain your following, just upload the media natively to Twitter. So when they come to your profile, they come to your handle, they'll get a rich media consumption experience as opposed to a bunch of links. Uh, so those types of things, right, like ensuring that you have a consistent publishing strategy, ensuring that you're authentic on the platform, giving users uh, a look under the hood, uh, a bit of uh, uh, your personality that they may not experience anywhere else. Those types of things always work really well on our platform. Some of this stuff exhausting. Like when I see, say, Chrissy Teigen, as you mentioned, like posting, mm -hmm. uh, I, I ate four donuts, don't judge me. Like in my head, I'm like, God, like, isn't it exhausting to constantly be posting? It's work, man. And it's why I mentioned Rob and, and Josiah earlier. Like, they're really, really good at Twitter, but it, that, that, that doesn't come at a, that doesn't come without a cause. It requires work. It, it requires time and effort. Uh, so to your, to your point, it, it it can be exhausting. And to that, I would say, do it at your own pace, right? Like do it in a way that feels right for you. Um, now, some people like relative to Adam's question, it was really about brand building and ensuring that you can use Twitter to, 
uh, develop and sustain a following for yourself. If that is truly your objective, right, if you're using it to build a platform, to build a brand, to, to gain followers, then you're going to have to be willing to do the work. You're going to have to be willing to, 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 to publish the content. Maybe when you don't feel like it sometimes, you're going to have to be willing to upload that, that media natively because the, the, reward, the reward will be there on the other side uh, if you are diligent about it. But um, if, 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 if it's something that feels like a chore, I always advise folks like do it at a pace that feels good for you. Do it in an authentic manner. Do it, do it when, when you feel like it, it feels right. Um, but different strokes for different folks, obviously. Some people are glued to it all day. Some people hop in maybe a couple times a day. Some people hop in a bit more infrequently than that. Uh, but finding your cadence, finding your voice is, is uh, of, of the utmost importance for sure. So there's no magic number? No, no, I wouldn't. You know, I I mean, with my Twitter hat on, I would say hop in there and, and, and tweet as much as three times a day or at least consume content on the platform, whether it's 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 hopping in there and, and liking tweets or 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 sharing content uh, amongst your followers. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, um, people use uh people should use the platform the way that it feels good, the way that it works for them. Uh, and for some people, that's having their phone on them at all times. And for some people, it's maybe hopping in a couple times a day. So I don't think there's a right or wrong way, uh, as long as it's authentic to you and as long as you're gaining value or gleaning value from using the service. You talked about advising athletes. And obviously, recently, you, you just caught up with... Um... Giannis Antetokounmpo and you guys um, spoke together, um, and uh, and you did sort of a Q and A with with Giannis. Um, what are some of your your favorite stories of of athletes you've gotten to meet and guys that you've gotten a chance to uh, to help out with the platform? Yeah, man, that's a really good question. Um, I you mentioned Giannis, so I'll I'll, I'll start with him. One of my favorite quote unquote NBA Twitter stories is a few a few years back, I think in twenty seventeen, Kobe Kobe in true Kobe fashion started issuing Twitter challenges, right, to players. Mm-hmm. And one of the challenges that he issued was to Giannis. He's like, Yo, I want you to be the league MVP. Um and as you can imagine, when when Mamba issues a challenge like that to the world, to you in front of the world, that, that could be, that could be a bit intimidating. So I asked Giannis about it. I was like, yo, you were chilling, man. Like you were minding your own business. And then here comes Kobe tweeting at you saying, I need you to win the league MVP. I said, what was your response? And he said, my response was, oh shit. Because <laughs> he, he knew it was real, like at that point, he's like, "Okay, like I just got challenged by Kobe to the world. Like I got to put the work in." And here we are uh, in 2019, and and that dude hoisted uh, the 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 MVP trophy. Man, it's one of my 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 favorite stories, and um and and one that like tells just such a great picture, and it shows like the type of guy that the the Giannis the Giannis is. Um, a few others, like a guy like CJ McCollum, who is fantastic at Twitter. Um, he has a podcast called The Pull Up, uh, 
Uh, so I'm often uh, reaching out to him and his team asking about what would, um, what does Twitter look like for you? What is the best ways that you use it? Um, and shortly after that, there was a, I'm trying Jennifer a story that happened where uh, there was a, a young lady on Twitter who, who, who said, yo, you need to focus on, on winning a final or winning a, a playoff series. And his response was super genuine. It was like, yo, Jennifer, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying. And it went viral and it turned into this big thing. There were T-shirts and merch. Uh, and then once they won, uh, once he won his first playoff series, I believe ESPN brought Jennifer to a game uh, in Golden State and they got to meet and they hugged it out and all that type of stuff. So the, the beauty of what we do is there are just so many rich stories and examples from athletes, leagues, and teams uh, as to how they've used Twitter and, and, and different cool stories that they have. Um, we, could, we, could, we could go on and on about this one. So since you're uh, behind the scenes and you have access to data the rest of us don't have, um, we need you right now to list off who all the burner accounts are for the high named athletes. <laughs> um, what, what has been going on with the, with, with the, with the burner accounts and, and, and do you, are you privy to, to knowing that stuff? So that's key. I like, I, I only have room in my head for a certain amount of information. You know what I mean? Until I reach, until I reach a, a max, max overload up there. I don't get, I don't get any insight into that. And what's interesting is oftentimes the agents that we have relationships with don't know either. Like these, 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 these really, these yeah, these athletes are just like us and some things they want to share and some things they don't want to share. And I understand that there's a balance between um, assisting their brand and, and overstepping. So I never, I never get too far deep down that rabbit hole, man. Uh, these 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 cats leverage social in the ways that they want to. They're really savvy though, man. They're they're really savvy. And although we've heard of some burner accounts, imagine all the all the burners that exist that we don't even know of that we're not privy to. These dudes are super savvy and they grew up with with their phones in their hands. So um, they uh, they take it they take it pretty seriously. But I never really overstep. I never I try to respect that. Uh, that privacy that, that, that they have with respect to how they use our platform. You mentioned the, I'm trying Jennifer. Yeah. Do you guys, or do you specifically, or, or anybody on your team alert players of certain tweets? Like maybe they're not checking their mentions and you know that this could create some sort of Twitter moment. That's a fantastic question. And the, the short answer is yes. When when we see things that are bubbling or popping or can turn into a thing on the platform, I have a colleague in, in L.A. Her name is Brittany Krantz, and she runs all of our athlete relationships. And uh, we'll, we have a DM thread, and we'll send tweets to each other all day. Did you see this? Did you see this? Oh, this is going to do numbers. Maybe you should reach out to his or, or her team. So those are, those are things that, that – those are discussions that we have every – single day because oftentimes like the timeline moves so fast that guys miss things that might be doing numbers or that might be popping so we uh we definitely take ownership in, in, in that in that capacity if we see something that is um is is performing well we'll we'll send it over to the teams to make sure that, that they know it's uh that they know it's it's, it's popping and best case scenario 
they hop in, they respond, they engage, they do whatever it is that they feel comfortable with. And in worst case scenario, they'll say thanks and they'll keep them moving. DJ, totally want to switch directions right now and and ask you something I really don't even know much about because we we interacted you coming off, you know, your college run and, and intern at ESPN. That and by the way, 2008 was when was when we first linked up to to just show how how quickly TJ's ascension's been and, and well deserved, obviously. But but your childhood, I've never really gotten into it with you. What what was your childhood like? Wow, memory lane. Is my mama gonna pop up? Is this this is your life, Rick? <laughs> mom, you there? I, I would, but we don't have the technology to do that. She's on the line, but it keeps dropping out. So I don't. Oh. Fair enough. Uh, childhood. So I, uh, I'm an only child. Uh, grew up uh, in the the D.C. metro area in Maryland specifically. Moved around a little bit, but um, you know, when you're an only child and and uh, you your parents work a lot, or my mom specifically worked a lot. Like sports was my. Sports is what I had. Like sports was the way I was able to build relationships with other folks and and and, and create friendships. Sports was also like what I got home and watched. Right, like I felt like a connection with sports, unlike anything else I've had. So I've had this this affinity for sports for my entire life, and I, I've always known that I would work in sports somehow. I just my assumption at a pretty early age was that I wouldn't be directly impacting a box score, right? Like I would, I wouldn't be, you wouldn't be going to ESPN.com to, to see what, how many points Adeshola scored. Right. But I knew that I could impact the game in different ways. And, and here we are just a, a handful of years later. I'm not trying to age myself. Uh, and, and I actually do have a role that, um, that, that 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 assists athletes and leagues and and achieving objectives and 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 reaching new fans and building audiences and whatnot. But yeah, my childhood was very much sports obsessed. I grew up in the D.C. area, like I mentioned. So uh, Georgetown hoops, University of Maryland hoops, the Wizards, which was the Bullets at the time, um, the the Washington Pro Football Team, the 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 Orioles prior to Montreal becoming the Nationals, you know, all things DMV sports, DMV hoops specifically as well. So did you see Steve Francis playing high school? I did. I did. I, we had, man, we had a, we had a, a solid group of folks coming through uh, the DMV. We still kind of like to claim Carmelo, even though he floated up to Baltimore, but we, we, we had a, a, a quite a crew, obviously, uh, you've got the Kevin Durant and the Steve Francis's and, um, and and Mellows and like guys like even folks that are still in the like a Jeff Green is from from the crib. We've got tons of of pound for pound, especially during that era. We had quite a few quite a few guys who were making a name for themselves in the prep college and, and pro space. All right. So then, given so given all that and you know wanting to work in sports, Adam asked you before about some of the experience that you've had with players and, and their reactions to things specifically with Giannis, what was your first and what was your most recent oh, shit moment for yourself? Ooh, uh, first, a few years ago, we were having exploratory discussions with the, the NFL around Thursday night football. 
and uh, they were shopping those rights around to a digital a digital property and uh shortly after those discussions they moved really fast we were able to to secure the rights of Thursday night football on Twitter so season kicked off and I'll never forget that first Thursday night the Jets were playing like we had live NFL games on Twitter um, that did not require authentication or did not require a payment or a login. Uh, that was a pretty cool moment for me. And that, at which point I'm like, oh, shit, we, we're doing stuff that is disruptive. Like, this is new. This is the forefront of how sports will be consumed uh, in the future, like on mobile via, via, via platforms like Twitter. So that was, that was probably the first career one, like to be, to play a role in, in what inevitably is like a change in, in, in the way people operate at scale. Like I, that was pretty special. The last one. Huh. So this I'm on a podcast with Adam Stanko. Yeah, well, obviously. Uh, that goes without saying, though. That okay. goes without saying. We Right before the uh, the U.S. women's national team went off to the World Cup, um, my my colleague Brittany and, um, and the USOC had this idea of having their official send-off press conference at Twitter. So right before they left, the whole team came here, all media outlets came, and we had the U.S. Women's Soccer National Team press conference, press day, before they left at Twitter. So it was really cool to establish relationships with those folks. And then, of course, a few weeks later, the icing on the cake was was them winning uh, the World Cup. Um, it felt like we played a role in, in that process because we, we, um, we got to send them off. So that was just something that was fulfilling. It was cool. Um, we, we want to be really deliberate about providing opportunities for underserved and, and underdistributed sports properties and, and, and communities on our platform to, to get attention, to get share of mind. And, and women's sports is certainly one of those. So to have, to have played a role, a small role in, uh, in their journey was something that, that felt really special. So, so that was streamed live on Twitter? So the, the press conference occurred at Twitter New York, and uh-huh. um, it was streamed, and we obviously had content captures here and, right. and, and the whole nine and different outlets. For, uh, something that's, players, for something like that, or even just a, another live show, or whether it's a, a live broadcast of a, of a high school football game or one of the second screen NBA shows, for something that's live video on Twitter, what's, what's successful in terms of time spent? It, uh, it, 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 there's so many different variables, right? Like, um, for example, we had a show with the ringer that aired immediately after each episode of, of, of game of Thrones. And it was called talking Thrones. And it was one of the, the, um, the most heralded programs that we've had simply because, um, the consumption was high and, Brands were really, really, really interested in it. However, like a, a live WNBA game may have a, a smaller audience, but they may 
stick around watching the game longer than that of uh, a live game for another property, right? So it really varies. Sometimes there are brands that that are aligned with with the game as well. So sometimes there's brand promotion involved. Um, so there isn't necessarily a, a, a benchmark or a baseline based on how variable the, the properties are. It's kind of one of those things when you know, you know, like we, we work with these properties pretty closely and they typically have their own benchmarks that they measure up against. And we try to help them ladder up to those insights or, or those data points that are important to them. So, TJ, we, we have one final uh, question that we always ask a, a catch and shoot question. We can get to that in a yeah. moment, but I did want to say before we let you go, I mean, you came in with a class, by the way, just so people know, Abby Wainer, who was a basketball player at Duke, she went on to play, get drafted in the WNBA. Michael mm-hmm. Kelly got into uh, television production. This was his intern class. Sophia Minert, superstar TV person, personality in, in Milwaukee, and Kyle Godwin, obviously, his tj and i a friend of ours who's who's um won some um emmy awards and and really had a successful business of his own on in the on the production side um i just wanted to say how proud i am of you man like that like to see what you've done and the influence you're making now being one of the most influential people in all of sports and i think even though people don't realize that they know you on twitter at tj but they don't know the impact that you've had and the kind of person you are so i just wanted to say you know how proud I am of you, and uh, this is a good platform to do it. Man, I appreciate I appreciate that, man. Uh, it's uh, it, it certainly doesn't happen without without folks like you um, playing uh, an important role in that. So we got more work to do, though, man. And I'm hoping that uh, this is just the beginning of of all of us collectively doing really dope stuff in the industry. There you go. Well, you're going to be able to promote this podcast on on Twitter. We can put this right at the top on every uh, <laughs> on every opportunity that you get. Uh, <laughs> Noah, you had a question for for TJ. Yeah, you want to let's let's close with let's close with catch and shoot. So we ask everyone from George Carl, Larry Brown, Byron Scott. We ask them game seven situation, mm. catch and shoot situation, mm. game on the line. Who do you want taking that final shot? But we'll we'll cater it to Twitter. So you want one NBA player to compose a tweet that shuts down the conversation. Who are you yeah. going? Yeah. So I'm gonna answer both. I'm gonna answer the player one and the tweet one. Uh, the first one, the player one. Um, I'm I'm gonna be a bit a bit self-serving here. Hakeem Olajuwon. It's my favorite player of all time. He also. I thought you were gonna say Nick Cannon Medley or something. <laughs> or, or Michael or Michael Oluwakandi. Nah, that oh, we're going some, uh, some 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 random Maryland player. <laughs> nah, so we're going we're going um, Hakeem Olajuwon. Nigerian. Like, give, Nigerian. Yeah. Give, give me the dream shake, baby, to end this game out, Game Seven. That's how we're gonna end this thing out in style. So Hakeem, the dream for for uh, for 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 that question to compose a tweet. Woo, it's a good one. Uh, I'm going to pick someone from the NBA. The easy answer would be to go with LeBron because he's really good on Twitter and it's going to do numbers. I'll tell you who is really, really good at Twitter. There's a young crew of the Donovan Mitchells, the Kyle Kuzmas, Dame Lillard, CJ McCollum's that are really good. But um, the, the, the NBA Twitter most improved player in the league might be Spencer Dinwiddie. He is fantastic 
on Twitter. So I'm giving I'm giving Spencer the keys to to compose this tweet and to to do numbers on on our service. Wow. What hey, TJ? Before I actually let you go, we always end it with that. But what's what do you find to be the most annoying thing about NBA Twitter? <laughs> uh, it's the best and the worst thing, man. It, it's the good with the best. Like some of the takes are just absolutely insane, man. Yeah. Yes. I, I I realize that basketball fans all have perspectives and POVs, and and we're all entitled to that. Um, where I get slightly offended is if the take is just trash, or if um, if if there's language that happens to be like offensive or or rude or just you know like unnecessary that's where i'm like come on man you can have an opinion without calling the guy an idiot or calling the guy a name so that's where that's where i get annoyed sometimes with nba twitter when it's like such and such sucks man i'm like yo he's been in the league for 10 plus years he's, he's doing quite all right with himself you know meanwhile you you you've got a minimum weight gig sometimes so this is a uh, Carmelo response that he's giving right now. I don't think you realize that he's defending Carmelo right now and his place on the all NBA decade team. That's what he's doing right now. So. This sounds very much like LeBron at the podium when he said, you know, those people are just going to go back to their, to their <laughs> 95 job. And TJ, I thought, I'm, 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 oh. <laughs> I'm By a the man way, of I, the people, guy. I'm a man of the people. I'm a man of the people. Don't listen to my we words. Know, we know. I <laughs> thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna go with uh, one-word quote tweets, which is a big, big no-no for uh, Noah and I. When people just give the nice and then give the quote tweet because they they want to build their own brand as opposed to just retweeting it. That's a right. big one of ours. Or, 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 or early on, it was this. Like, all right. I'll just <laughs> Yeah, I'll tell you, my media, my like the companies I work with hate that too. Like, guys, or or if there's imagery within within a tweet, as opposed to retweeting the original tweet that you that you got the the info from, yeah, tweet and then taking that content, but then doing the fake courtesy of I got this from at Naismith Lives. Like, yo, you could have just given me the engagement. You could have given me the retweet. I'd rather right. take a quote. Hold on, I'd rather take that, that quote tweet. I'd rather take that quote tweet actually than you creating your own tweet, copying and pasting or using whatever, and then attributing me in the tweet copy. I'd rather take the the one word quote tweet than that. I'm so glad you said so, this. Have you ever talked to Bleacher Report about this? I have great relationships with publishers all over the, the the marketplace, and they all have their own respective content publishing strategies that that I can't alter. Um, yeah. So I, uh, I Bleacher Report is one of one of many properties that I, yeah. that I have a relationship with. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm, uh, but I'm right there with you, TJ. <laughs> I I, I, pre- I appreciate it. I know Adam does, and um, and he he spoke so highly of you for so long and the fact that it took you guys 10 years to get anything done together i'm just honored to be a part of it it wouldn't it wouldn't be possible without you so thanks for getting them in shape man i appreciate you yeah <laughs> let's do it again next week <laughs> All right, have a good one. appreciate you Take tj care. all right thanks